But I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 31. We're making our way through our study of Genesis, and we've come now to chapter 31, where Jacob is about to begin a a new chapter in his life as he's going to leave his uh, father-in-law, the home where his wives have been born and raised, and he's going to go back home to where he's from. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason for this departure. In our study of Genesis, we're seeing that God's word is full of relevant stuff. I mean, it's almost, it's almost, it seems like you get through different problem after problem after problem as you study the lives of these people. Jacob going through problems just like you and I go through. You see Jacob wrestling with uh, sins and difficulties that are a part of his culture that are just like our culture today. And over in the lives, over and over in the lives of real people in Scripture, we see them facing the things that we face. And best of all, we see that God is with them in their difficulties, just as God is with us in ours. He's guiding them and helping them, which means that the Lord will help us as well. Now let's turn to 31, chapter 31, verse 1. We'll read down through verse 16, and then I'm not going to preach through every single verse, but kind of in general. Genesis 31, 1 to 16. The he in verse 1 is Jacob. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and he said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before. But the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages Ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked and speckled and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. All the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked and speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowedst a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him as strangers? For he hath sold us and hath, dev- quite, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches with God hath taken from our father, that is ours, and our children's now, and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading 
of his holy word. Here in this chapter, Jacob, who has been with Laban, his father-in-law now for decades, his father-in-law has been ripping him off. And every time his father-in-law tries to do him dirty, the Lord countermands that. The Lord turns it the opposite way and blesses Jacob, even though his father-in-law means to do him harm. Now, this is not part of the message, but there's a general principle here. God's people, when God is on your side, even when the world is doing you dirty, God can make their dirty deeds work out to your blessing and your honor. God is all-powerful and almighty. He has, well, God has more power than you think he does. <laughs> we could, there's a famous sermon entitled, How Big Is Your God? How big is your God? Is your God a puny, pipsqueak kind of God who needs you to do a lot of stuff? Or is your God the one who said, let there be light, and there was light? Is your God the one who said, let all the waters be gathered here, and all the land be gathered here? What kind of God do you have? Well, our God is a big God. But if you want to treat him like a little God, you can. But a big God is who you have to serve. So let's, talk, let's walk through this text a little bit. Let's talk about jealousy, first of all. Have you ever been jealous? You ever been jealous of somebody else? I have. One writer says that the prosperity of others usually draws out envy even in the best of men. Even in the best of men. You know, if somebody gets a new car or a new truck or a new boat or a new fishing rod or a new pair of shoes, and boy, we're so happy for them, aren't we? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes we are, but we can become envious of them. Covetousness is being unhappy about any good that happens to others. These all come from the biblical illustrator. It's Jacob's brothers-in-law, they've been working for their dad for a long time, and they see their brother-in-law. Now, I have two brothers-in-law, and I have one brother, and I can say that the brother-in-law relationship can sometimes be fabulous and sometimes be not so fabulous. But here are these guys. Jacob is a stranger. He moved to their town, married their sister, started working for their dad, and they're getting, their bank accounts are shrinking, and his is getting bigger, and they're getting upset about it. They're jealous of the prosperity of Jacob. And Jacob notices it. He sees what they're doing. He sees the looks he's getting. He sees the little passive-aggressive comments. He feels them. He can see that Laban is not as warm towards him as he used to be. And he understands that something is going on here. It's a tough situation to be in. Jealousy. Now notice here in the text that the Bible says that the brothers, say, they said, Jacob has taken our father's stuff. Jacob has taken it. Now my friends, is that a true statement? Did Jacob take what belonged to Laban? Did he steal from Laban? No, he did not. But jealousy never gives credit to the right person. Jealousy never says, you know, they've been working hard. They deserve that. Jealousy says, no, sir, they have been doing some kind of dirty dealings on the side. There's no way that they've earned that. Jealousy is a horrible, horrible thing to feel. Jealousy leads us to tear down others with our lives. It causes us to disrespect them. And jealousy can cause us to figuratively kill someone in our mind and heart. Jesus said if you wish your brother to be dead, it's just like killing him. 
if you have hatred in your heart towards it, can cause us to figuratively kill someone, or jealousy can sometimes cause us to literally kill someone. A lot of people are dead because of jealousy. People die because of jealousy. Jealousy is a bad thing. Jealousy really, really hurts relationships. You know, you can, jealousy is one of those kind of interesting things. You can't always tell when somebody's jealous, can you? You can't always tell, but it's inside. And my friends, don't forget that what's inside eventually is going to come out. I've told you before. I remember the first time I mouthed off to my mom, I didn't know it came out of my mouth. Because <laughs> I'd been mouthing off to her in my mind for a long time. <laughs> but the first time it jumped out of my mouth, you know, she, she was not too pleased with that. What's in the heart will come out. At one point, Jacob's brother-in-laws, they were fine with him. But that changed as he became more and more prosperous. And then eventually, they couldn't hide it anymore. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't stand him. Jealousy and envy are very common. Very common. They're sins. It's a sin to be jealous. It's a sin to be envious and covetous. It's a sin. It's a sin that you should avoid just like all the other sins. It's a sin that should be avoided. If you've been committing that sin, it should be repented of and confessed. My friends, you need to be aware of the power of jealousy and envy. The power that they have to corrupt your emotions. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Listen to the reading here from Solomon. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. Envy can rotten your superstructure. It can cause you to wilt and become injured on the inside, very deep where it hurts. Turn to Proverbs 27, verse 4. Listen to God's word here. Wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Who can withstand that? Envy. Such a vicious, vicious thing. If you want to have some idea of the seriousness of envy and jealousy, you need only to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 29. Listen to what God's word says here. Now, Romans 1 has this great plethora of sins that man commits against God. And right there in chapter 1, verse 29, it says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, that's sleeping around, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, right in the midst of all these big time sins is your and I's most excused sin, envy, jealousy. It's a sin. It's the kind of sin, for, it's a sin that God condemns right along with all these other magnificently <laughs> wicked sins. Sin. These are corrupting forces that work within us. Old Jacob, he sees that his brothers-in-law, they've become jealous. They're envious of him. Well, how do you, what do you do? What do you do when the people you've been closest to, when the people you've trusted, what do you do when the people who you've leaned on, depended on, what do you do when your inner circle 
turns against you? What do you do when people who you've trusted more than most people, what do you do when they become envious of you and turn against you? One commentator says, The Christian, it is Christian prudence to observe the discontented and angry faces of the wicked. You have to sometimes look around and see what's, the, what's really going on here. Re-examine the situation and look at people's faces and see how they're acting towards you. I know people, well, I'm not going to get into that. God sometimes allows this unjust behavior to appear so that God's people will move to different places. Now, this is interesting. Jacob is going to move. God is, say, God is going to say to go from here to there. Anybody, and what causes him to consider moving is seeing the faces of people are turned against him. What do you do when your closest allies are against you? What do you do when the arms upon which you have leaned are now closed to you? What do you do? Who do you turn to when no one else is there to care about you? Who do you run to when everyone's gone? Well, we all know the answer, don't we? It's Jehovah. It's the Lord. It's God. David has that great reading in Psalms 142 where he says, I looked on my right hand, there was nobody. I looked on my left hand, there was nobody. There was no man that cared for me, but the Lord was there. That's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in one of his letters. Paul's in prison. And Paul needs some comfort. He needs somebody to bring him some stuff, somebody to care for him, somebody just to come around and give him a smile for a change. And he says, there was nobody around. But then Paul says to Timothy, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord was there. The Lord was my rock. The Lord was my high tower. The Lord was my strong defense. The Lord was my shield. The Lord helped me out. You know, sometimes, friends, you have to be alone before you can really learn to trust God. To live by faith sometimes requires the Lord, making it really scary. (laughs) Really scary. Trusting in the Lord. Jehovah. Run to Jehovah. This is what what happens with Jacob. Jehovah comes to him in verse 3. Just as Jacob sees what's happening, he sees the situation. He sees the angry faces of his brothers-in-law right at that moment. The Lord comes. Verse 3. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with you. Just when Jacob is filled with dread and anxiety, right when he is wondering what to do, God says, I got the answer. I want you to go back to where you came from. And what God does is he gives to Jacob direction. He tells him what to do. And my friend, I want to ask you this question personally. You think about it for yourself. When God tells you what he wants you to do, are you going to do it or not? When you know what God wants you to do, are you going to do it or not? You say, well, I don't know if I can trust the Lord. His command sounds kind of far out. Sounds frightening to me. You must obey the Lord. You must obey him. It's the only wise thing for you to do. Now, it's interesting that God tells Jacob to leave town before it gets worse. It's kind of funny to me that the faces are against him, 
That's all it is right now. It's just a mean look. It's just a growl. It's just an eye roll when he walks up. But God says, you need to go. You need to go. Now, here's a question. Is it always God's will for us to leave a place, a job, or a relationship, or something like that, before it gets worse? Are we always supposed to avoid the worst? Not always. But sometimes it is. In this particular instance, it is. God wants Jacob to move, to go to a new place. Now, there are times when we need to ride out the storms, and there are other times we're supposed to evacuate. You remember down there in Florida, they have all the, the, the hurricanes come sweeping in? Sometimes people hang around, don't they? I just got done reading a, a John Grisham novel not recently, and the whole thing kind of is based around a murder that takes place during a hurricane. And uh, this particular guy, he stays through the hurricane, and because he stays through the hurricane, guess what happens to him? Somebody kills him. <laughs> He should have left. He should have left town. But he hung out. Sometimes you stick around. Sometimes you evacuate. You know, here in Oklahoma, sometimes you go out on your front porch and watch the tornado. And sometimes you get in the storm cellar. Or sometimes you wish you had a storm cellar. (laughs) So how do we know when it's time to go? One commentator says that God disturbs our nest, which is what what Jacob is going through. In other words, God causes Jacob to want to leave. Because Jacob's really doing well there. Things are going great for Jacob. But God begins to disturb the nest. So that when God says go, he goes. But my friends, God is telling Jacob to go somewhere that he left. And he left that place because the people there wanted to do what to him? They wanted to kill him. The reason Jacob left his homeland was because his brother Esau had said, as soon as dad kicks the bucket, you're a dead man. And Jacob takes off because of the murderous passions of his brother. And God says, now I want you to go back to where you came from. I can see Jacob going, okay, finally, an answer, direction. But back there, where the bloodthirsty brother is, I haven't been around there in a long time. And Jacob was, and Esau was a powerful man then. He's probably more powerful now. But God says, gives those great words. The end of verse 3, look at them. If you mark stuff in your Bible, these are good words to mark. I and I will be with thee. I will be with you. I want you to go back there. You're not going to go alone. I'm going to go with you into these places. Friends, we have to remember that God has said that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And that means we have to live trusting God's plan for our lives. And I've been a Christian a long time, and one of the frustrating things about the Lord is he doesn't always let us see the whole plan at once. He just shows us enough for today. And I find that to be very frustrating. Do you? I do. But we have to trust him, right? We're not putting our trust in the government, we're not putting our trust in the weather. Or ourselves even, we're putting our trust in God. And God, un- he, God unveils his plan for our lives day by day. Day by day. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's, there's going to be enough bad stuff happen today without you worrying about tomorrow. That's Jesus' basic teaching there. Trust in the Lord. 
Now, as you read the Bible, over and over you see God making the same promise to his people. I looked it up with the different phrases for I will be with you or stay with you or be near you. And it's, it's several hundred. And I put down here in my paper, in my sermon notes, here, about 30 times where God says, I will be with you. And I don't want to turn to all of them. I'm not going to turn to any of them, to be honest with you. There are so many of these statements in God's word that if you would simply just take up God's word and read it, you won't go very far before you find him promising to his people, I'll be with you. Everywhere. No matter where you go. Psalms 139 is that great passage where, he, where the psalmist says, it looks like wherever I go, I'm not going to get away from you because you're going to be around. Jesus, our precious Lord and Savior, said, I will be with you until the end of the world. Amen. This is a promise of God to us. He'll be with his people. If God is with you, you'll be okay. If God's with me, I'll be okay. And we don't have to live in fear about it. Remember Psalm 23? I will fear no evil because you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm in a frightening place, God is with us. This is what God is saying to Jacob. I'll be with you. Now, Jacob has the, has the opportunity that you and I have. Is Jacob, Jacob can stop where he is at this moment in life. At that point in his personal history, he can stop and look back and see, hey, God's been with me already. I wonder, if can you say that today? Can you stop right now? What, what is the date? July 20, not July 20. July 18, 2021. Can you stop right here on this date and look back down the history of your life and see how God has sustained you and helped you and been with you? Can you do that? Now, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I've been a Christian since I was 15 years of age. And I've been trying to live for the Lord for a long time. And I can just look back over, you know, just like 25 short years. And I can say, God got me there, there, and there. He's always been with me, helping me. Sometimes more obvious than others, but I can look back and see it. And when God says to Jacob, I'll be with you, this is not something Jacob has just heard for the first time. Jacob has heard this from the Lord over and over. It's not the first time you've heard it either, is it? Is this the first time you've heard somebody say, God's with you, God's going to watch over you, God's going to take care of you? Is this the first time you heard that? If it is, I'm glad it's me that gets to tell you. But I don't think it is the first time you heard it. It's something that God wants us to be reminded of over and over and over again. Because we need it. We need it. It is these difficult times that cause us to put our confidence in God. Somebody will, some smart aleck will say this. Some little Terry out there will say, yeah, but is he really there? Well, yes, he is there. But we can't always see him and we can't always feel him, so we have to trust him to keep his word. We have to trust him to keep his promise. His promise. God will keep his promise. God can be trusted. F.D. Meyer says this, when God is for us and with us, who can be against us? That almost sounds like a quotation from Scripture, doesn't it? If God be for us, who can be against us? Blessed is he, Meyer says, blessed is he who is environed or surrounded by God and for whom God fights. This man must be more than a conqueror. And Meyer says that's exactly what Jacob found out. He found out that God 
was with him. With him. Let me say this to you who may be here and are not a Christian. This all may seem crazy to you. But those of us who have been born again, this kind of thinking is normal. Normal because God, by the preaching of his word, has taught us the good news. The good news is that we are sinners. And that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not to save good people, not to save clean people, not to save middle class people, not to save Yankees or Southerners. But that God came into the world to save sinners of whom all of you are. And because God is merciful, Christ comes and says, come unto me and be saved. God says, if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, you'll be spared in the day of judgment. Because God ha- God's going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world because he's good. And he has to judge the world. Everyone who's good makes judgments. God's going to judge the world. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ in the day of judgment, you've got nothing to fear. You remember, you ever play Monopoly? You ever play Monopoly? You ever get that little get-out-of-jail-free card? Well, if, if you've trusted in Jesus, you got the avoid-the-hell card. You're not going to go to hell because Jesus paid for you to be set free from that place. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you want to talk about it more, after the service, I'll talk to you all day long, as long as it takes. Now, Jacob's life is not lived alone, though, is it? Jacob has a wife. Actually, Jacob has two wives. <laughs> two wives with only one mother-in-law. <laughs> two wives. He's married to two sisters. We know, how, we know the story, I think. But Jacob has to tell his wives. He has to go say to his dears. <laughs> he, has to, he has to go and say, Girls, we got to leave. We got to leave your daddy's house. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ladies who when you say to them, you got to leave your daddy, well, that's not, a big, that's not too good. Sometimes they're glad to leave dad, but sometimes they're not. He has to go and say, we got to leave. And I want to commend these girls to you. They don't always get, the, get that, but I want to I lift them up to you under a few headings. Now, it's, it's right for godly husbands to, communi- to communicate God's will to their wives about, about the affairs of life. God made men to be the head of the home, and they have to lead the home. But, and, they have to, and, and Christian men should be trying to lead a Christian home. Christian men married to Christian women should not let their wives do all the Christianing in the home. The brothers got to take up God's word and be able to give some counsel from God's word. They got to know God. You know, I've been, I've been married now for you know, a long time, and uh, I, can, I know how to do all kinds of stuff. If there's a problem at our house, Valerie said the car was shipped in front of the other day, and she's like, she told me about it, and you know, I've, already, I've already solved the problem in my mind. I just hope the mechanic agrees. <laughs> you know, they say, well, there's a, there's a drip under the kitchen sink, and I know how to fix it. There's some kind of spark leaping out of the outlet in the kitchen. Run. <laughs> I know all kinds of things. And just like you guys do, your wives will come to you with all kinds of questions. But what if they have some, something about the scriptures they need to know? What if they need to know what God says about something? 
Now, brothers, in my experience, sometimes it happens and you don't know where to turn. But you have the book to turn to. And sometimes you've got to take up God's word and start grinding your way through it with prayerful inquiry. Lord, help me to know what to do here. What's the right thing? Not all decisions have to be made in 30 seconds. Sometimes you've got to really roll around in it. You've got to persevere in inquiry, trying to find out the truth. Brothers, I hope you're taking the time to know God for yourself and to know God's word for yourself. To be a Bible-reading, Bible student, that's, that's not a mark of femininity. It's a manly pursuit to know God and His Word. It's a manly pursuit. You know how I know it's a manly pursuit? Because Jesus was a man. The apostles were men. The patriarchal leaders of the Old Testament, all men serving God. Serving God. Nothing more manly than being a Christian and knowing the Lord. So Jacob has to take this message from the Lord to his wives. But something is going on here. The wives, when they hear this news, it's kind of mind-blowing what they do. They, They acknowledge that their father was a rat. They admit it. They say, yeah we, we, yeah, we can see it. Sometimes people blind themselves to these truths because of relationships, because that's their dad. So here are the three areas I want to commend them to you. Number one is these sisters, they are committed to their husband over their father. Husband before dad. Now, I, only, I, got, two, I got three daughters. I got two. I got three daughters. If they all get married to some guy, not the same guy, amen, (laughs) but if they all get husbands, they're supposed to be devoted to that guy more than they're devoted to me. They're giving themselves to that man. I'm giving them to him. And that should be normative. That's what Scripture says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husband over father. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal in the reading, but it really is a big deal sometimes. The wives are more committed to their dads than they are to their husbands. But these girls, what do they do? Jacob comes with this big news. We got to leave town. The Lord says, go back to my home. And what do they do? They say, okay. Number two, they perceive the truth. They see the truth. Sometimes people refuse to admit what is really going on. They live in a state of denial. But these girls can see it. We've already talked about how it looks like they had spiritual growth in their own lives as they've come to know God and His ways. These girls have, they realize what's really going on. It's a good lesson for you and I, is that we need to look at the evidence and not be blinded by traditions. You know what keeps people believing some traditions? is because of who taught them that tradition. Or because of who believes it. My friends, believe the truth of God's word, even if it makes every person you know and respect a liar. Even if it means they're all liars. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's Romans 3, verse 4. Let God be true. Thirdly, they follow Jacob as he follows God. 
they decide by faith to go along with Jacob. If you have a husband that loves the Lord, follow him. If you've got a husband that doesn't love the Lord, follow him too. It doesn't mean you've got to obey your husband in sinning, doing all kinds of sins. If it's a sin against God, don't do it, period. If it's a sin against your dad, probably do it. <laughs> but my friends, my brothers, if you have a family, lead them towards the Lord. You say, well, I got to me and my wife. Lead her towards the Lord. Lead your family towards the Lord. And when they're grown, they may not follow God, your children that is, but while they're in your home, set a good example for them. You say, well, my kids are already out of the house, and I can't be an example for them like I could before. You still can show them the faith. You can show them the way of righteousness. Just keep on following the Lord. It doesn't mean you've got to go around with a halo on your head and a cross around your neck singing how great thou art, thou art all the time. Just live like a Christian in front of them. Be clean, be kind, be gentle, be sweet, be understanding, be devoted to God. Be devoted to God. When I talk about being devoted to God, I don't mean being absorbed with pretentious rule-keeping. But be devoted to God in true, heartfelt, love-driven obedience to God. That you love Him. So I say to you, brothers, do you love God? I say to you, sisters, do you love God? Do you love Him? Now here's the conclusions, okay? It's the end of the, end of the sermon. Conclusions. Some questions for you. Number one, are you right now jealous or envious of someone? Think about it. If you are, that's a sin. It's a sin. You need to repent of it. You need to find you a place and cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm envious of this. I'm jealous of this person. And I ask you to forgive me for it. That's all it takes. God is a forgiving God, right? And he'll forgive all kinds of sins, but we kind of figure, well, I only need to get, I only need to get clean about the big ones. Well, God cares about all the sins. <laughs> the big ones and the little ones. And if you're like me, you commit a lot more little ones than you do big ones. But they kind of build up, don't they? Now, it's so muddy lately around here. If you go out and you walk across somebody's muddy yard, and you're, you get mud on your shoe, Right? And the more you walk, what happens to that mud on your foot? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until, you, until you're making Bigfoot tracks all the way across the yard. And then you've got to find a, a log or a block, you know, or a brick or somebody's curb and scrape it all off. Well, man, it's a pain in the neck to get it all off. Those little sins, they all cake up and they, they just become heavier and nastier. You need to get them off. Jesus will knock them off for you. Repent of your sins. If you keep on, if you stay jealous and envious of people, you'll destroy your life. You'll be miserable. You'll make yourself miserable. The where you are in life is where God must have wanted you to be, because that's where you are. And you got to accept it. This is the Lord's will. This is the Lord's will. Doesn't mean you you, you don't do anything about it. You know, if you're, you know, let's see. If, you're, if you have a flat tire, the Lord wanted you to have a flat tire. 
right? But it also means that you should go ahead and change it. <laughs> Don't just sit there and go, well, I'm stuck here forever because I got a flat tire. <laughs> you know, Lord wants me to live right here in front of Target <laughs> for the rest of my life. You know, you, there's, that happened because he wants you to do something. I mean, this, it's not, people go to extremes. I just want to say that just in case. Number two, are you living by the promise that God is with you and will take care of you? Are you living by the promise that God is with you? Are you trusting that? You should trust in the promise of Christ to save you. You should trust in the Holy Spirit to empower you to serve the Lord, to give you what you don't have. You should trust in the plan of God for your life as he reveals it to you day by day. The striking thing about these girls is it's such a wonderful thing they say. Look at what they say. Verse 16. Rachel and Leah, they start talking in verse 14. And they, and they kind of say, you know, the situation here is just as, as you say, Jacob. Dad is not treating us right, verse 15. All the riches God has taken from our father has given to us and to our children. You're right. Now, the greatest thing that they say to Jacob is right there in that last verse. Whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. What great women. What great women. They say, Jacob, whatever God tells you to do, do it. We're with you. You know, my friends, as a Christian congregation, as a church, that should be our statement to all the other people in the church. Whatever God has told you to do, do. And we're with you in prayer. We're with you in heart. We're with you in body. We're with you. Whatever you do, do it. It's not you're doing the, what the Lord wants. That's, that's the attitude of a father for his children. What, as long as the kids are doing what the Lord wants them to do, do it. Do it. But if it's not what the Lord wants you to do, don't do it. That's what we say to our kids. That's what we say to our wives, to our husbands. That's what we should be saying to ourselves. Do it. Whatever God wants you to do, do it. Don't worry about it. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's stand together and we're going to sing this last hymn, Blessed Assurance 113. Blessed Assurance, and we have the, the piano music for it back there. Does it need to be turned up a little bit more yet? Do you guys have to go? I, I got I a speaker right here in my ear. I can hear it pretty good. I will right, we'll give it a go just like it is. 113, Blessed Assurance. Three verses are what we have. 